doing this morning? Good. Bard. Can you hear me back there in the back? I don't want anybody falling to sleep. Ah, that's right. All right. We're going to continue our study this week, and we're pulling out people in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that maybe we don't hear a lot about, some we know better than others. And uh, I want to, if you have a Bible with you, turn to Hebrews 11. And we're going to look at verse... Oh, I don't know. 32. Now this is after the writer of Hebrews gone through a lot of stuff here. He's saying... Remember Abraham, remember Noah, remember Moses, all these great people of the Bible that it's so familiar with. And he gets to verse 32. And he says, What more shall I say? I don't even have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And then he says what distinguishes all these people here who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. But all these were commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. I want to talk today about Barak. That guy I mentioned there in verse 32 where he says, I don't have time to tell you about Barak. Well, guess what? Pastor David does. I have the time to tell you about Barak. And so that's where we're going to go today. Uh, considering the story of Barak. I want to tell you a story to begin with, though. Back when our country was a bit younger and there weren't any cars and such to get around, people either got by uh, through trains or horse and carriage or they walked. There's a story about this guy who was headed to the east and he came to the Mississippi River and he was, he was walking across uh, much of the country and he got there in wintertime and where he was to cross the river was frozen over. And so he had never seen the Mississippi before, wasn't real sure what he should do at this point, and he knew he had to get across the river by nightfall, but he was afraid. And so he gets down on his hands and knees. I don't know if you ever... Do you get much ice down here in Tennessee? Do you get real snow and all? No. Sometimes. We get a lot of snow in the town where I live, which is called Frostburg. And there's a reason for that. Uh, but So this guy comes to the Mississippi River, can't tell how thick the ice is. He gets down on his hands and knees because he doesn't want the ice to break through. And so you know, he's spreading his weight around. He's pushing here, 
pushing here and inching his way across the Mississippi River because he just doesn't know if it'll hold him. Well, he's gone about a half an hour like this, feeling the ice, and he hears something coming up behind him. And he's about midway across the Mississippi River. And it's a guy singing. And he also hears a horse. Or however they go. He hears a horse. So he's on his hands and knees. He turns around. And here's a guy driving a horse-driven sleigh with a big load of coal on it. And he's there, yeah, yeah, just going across the Mississippi River. So he's down on all fours. The guy comes singing along, waves to him, and off he goes. Now, what do you think the guy down on all fours is going to do next? Oh, my goodness, yes. (laughs) He's going to get up, and he's just going to walk across. Isn't it interesting, though, how sometimes our fears will do that to us? We become so afraid that it's almost like we're down on our hands and knees and trying to get across and somebody else, oh, they'll just come along and whistle and look at you and keep on going. But we're so afraid that uh, we can't do it. Barak was like that. He was a chicken head. Okay? That's what we call him up in my neck of the woods, a chicken head. And uh, he was such a man, he was timid, he was afraid to step out on his own, feeling insufficient, feeling that nothing he could do uh, might be good enough to win the day, to win the battle. This morning I want to talk about how God's grace can help us get started living the life God wants us to live. We're going to talk about how God's grace came and helped Barak, who was kind of afraid to even do what he was supposed to do, But God's grace came and helped him do it. God's grace will do the same thing for you wherever you are, whatever part of the Christian life you're in, God's grace will be there for you. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll look at Barak. Father, we ask that you might add your blessing upon this time as we study your word today. Uh, Father, give us insight here as we look at Barak's life. And if there's any here today that uh, may feel a little bit like him, a little bit scared at at what you may have down the road for them, I pray you'd help them to trust that your grace will be enough. In fact, will be all they need to get through it. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn back to the Old Testament now. We saw where the writer of Hebrews mentions Barak. If you go back to the book of Judges, like the fifth or the sixth book in the Bible, chapter 4, that's where the story of Barak is. Judges chapter 4 give you a little bit of a background. The period of the judges, it's before King Saul, before Israel had a king, and after Moses and Joshua uh, had died, they're in the promised land, but Israel is ruled by what they call judges. And this period of time went for about 400 years. And what it means is that God appointed somebody to be in charge. What's your name? Megan. Let's just say Megan's going to be the first judge in Israel. So God says, Megan's in charge. All right? And, and God did use women at this time as well. But you would be the judge in Israel. What? You're not the king, but you're the judge. 
And she'd walk down the street and people would go, here come the judge. Here come the judge, right? Because you're the judge. And what she would do is anybody that had any disputes, somebody comes up and says, hey, Joe stole my cow. He won't give it back. What are you going to do about it, judge? Judge him, yeah. Well, let's hear your story. Bring Joe in, bring the cow in, bring whoever took him. And so the judge, whatever the dispute was, the judge heard it and made a decision, and that was final. Why? Because the judge was in charge. But she also ruled over all Egypt. Now, the, during that period of the judges in that book of the Bible, there were some 13 or so judges that ruled, anywhere from 20 to 40 years uh, they would be in charge. But Israel sinned a lot against God, and God would allow their enemies to come in and take them over and sometimes make slaves out of them, just like we talked about last night in Egypt. And so, the judge, God would say, at the time, Megan, we're going to, the Israelites, they're sorry for their sins, we're going to beat these people up, whether it's the Philistines, the Canaanites, whoever it was that was oppressing them. And the judge would help them overcome their enemies. All right? So that's the period of the judges. Then we come to Barak and a woman named Deborah. These people, at this time, Israel, if you look at verse, chapter 4, verse 1, uh, it talks about Ehud died. The Israelites once again did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's what they did very well, did bad stuff. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan. And basically it says he uh, cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years and they cried out to the Lord for help. So this Jabin cruelly oppresses the Israelites, meaning he abuses them, they treat them as slave labor. The people cried out to God, Lord, get us out of this mess. Free us from this terrible Jabin. And so the judge at this time actually was not Megan, but it was Deborah. Is there any Deborahs here? Oh, what a shame. Can you be Deborah? All right. So she'll be Deborah now. Deborah was in charge. Oh, oh, the woman was this judge over Israel. And God was telling Deborah, it's time we're going to ease the, the suffering of the Israelites. And God tells Deborah, I want you to get the man Barak. I want you to give him some orders. I want you to tell him to round up some men, get an army together, want him to go up into this mountain, Mount Tabor. And from there, he said, I'm going to lead him into this tremendous battle and we are going to defeat this wicked king and his army and Israel will be free once again. So Deborah calls Barak in. Right? Deborah calls Barak in. Says, Barak, this is what God wants you to do. I want you to notice here, I think it's verse 8. This is what Barak says to Deborah. And then you tell me what you think of Barak. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. What do you think that tells you about Barak? He tells Deborah, she's given him the orders, and he says, Well, if you'll come with me, I'll, go, I'll do it. But if you won't come with me, then I'm not going to do it either. What does it tell you about Barak? He's a chicken head, remember? He's afraid. 
I'm not going to go by myself. I've noticed some of you here at camp. You like to have people do things with you. Even the smallest things. Somebody will say, oh, I forgot my hat. Will you go with me to get my hat? Okay. And then a the whole gang of you just go down just to get the hat. Uh, what was the other one I watched? Uh, it, it was... Uh, is it Jenna? Is that one of the girls? Yeah. She has secret power. She's not here right now, is she? No. She's on the podcast now. But anyway, I, I, I need to go do this. Will you come with me? Okay. Why do we need people to go with us? We sometimes are afraid. We, we like to have somebody along in case things go wrong. Now, what I want you to notice about Barak's race. This is the race God had given him to run. God's given him a course change. He's saying, Barak, this is what you've been doing. Now I want you to start doing something else. The course change comes through Deborah. For you young people here, I want you to keep this in mind. You're here at Camp Tapawingo this week. You're spending a lot of time in the Word of God, whether it's through your quiet time or here in chapel, through the music. You're, you've got to get closer to the Lord. There's just no way around it. It happens. And God may impress upon you, even at 14 or 15, whatever years old, God may impress upon you, it's time to change course with your life. It's time to really start focusing on what God may have for you to do with your life. You know, I was 14 when I responded to what I felt was the call of God on my life to go be a pastor, be a missionary, I had no idea. I just felt like God wanted me to spend my life doing the things that he wanted me to do. And I can remember at a church service uh, one time just standing up with some others that felt the same way and said, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. It was a change of course in my life. From that point on, I started thinking about well, if that's what God wants me to do with my life, what do I need to do from here? What do I need to learn? Where do I need to go to college? And so I ended up going to Bible college. And, and so what I want you to understand is, just because you're a teenager, doesn't mean God may already be trying to change the course of your life to get you to the point where He can use you in whatever way it, it might be. So this course change comes from Deborah. God tells Deborah, Deborah tells Barak. I'm telling you, it may come, this impression that God has other things for you to do or more important things to do, it may come from your parents. This is something they might say. Have they ever thought about this? It may come from Uncle Paul, who may tell you, have you ever thought that God might want you to do this? It may come from Pastor David. It may come from your counselor. It may come from the place you might least expect it, but someone will plant that thought in your head and say, have you ever envisioned yourself doing something good, something big, for the cause of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Deborah was telling Barak, God has something he wants you to do. And Barak was afraid. I can remember that night that I stepped up when they gave the invitation to church. I, got, I was scared. What? I don't even know why. I was scared. I felt like maybe the guy crossing the Mississippi. You know when you walk an aisle at church to get saved or to go to be baptized. 
Sometimes it feels like it's the longest aisle in the world and it just feels like this. So afraid that God is calling you to do something that, that you don't understand, that, that maybe you never know if you'll get there or be able to do it the way he wants you to. Second thing I want you to notice here about Barak's change of course, one that came through Deborah. Secondly, I want you to notice his hesitancy to change course. We call this a comfort zone. He was in a place where he felt comfortable. He, he knew what he was doing. He didn't like change. For me to come to Camp Tapawingo, I live 400 miles to the north, and even though I've been here before, it's been a lot of years, this is a little different setting for me. Uh, and so it takes me a little while to get adjusted. Chances are it's a little different from what you're used to in the summer, so it takes a little time to get adjusted. Uh, I'd like you to do me a favor here. If you would, just cross your arms and sit like this for a minute. Now smile. Thank you. The smile is just to make me feel more comfortable. Now take a look at your arms. Don't move them. I want you to notice which hand is on top, which one's down below. All right? I want you to switch them so that they're the exact opposite. On this one, my left hand is on top and goes under. So now I'm putting my right hand on top and it's going under and the left one's underneath coming up. Sit like that. How's that feel? Weird. <laughs> feel weird? Now, see, I want you to sit like that. How long do you think you can sit like that without it driving you crazy? Uh, but it feels a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? But really, it's not for him. Alright, All right, now cross your fingers like this, like a little church in the steeple. Notice which thumb's on the top. Now move them so your other thumb is on the top. A little different, don't you think? Now, here's what I want you just to notice from this. We all have a certain way we do things and we're comfortable in that. Okay? Barak was comfortable in what he was doing, but God was saying, I want you to step out of what you're comfortable with and try something else. At some point this week, maybe Paul's going to take you to the top of the tower and ask you to jump off. Okay? Some of you may say, you know, Paul, I'm not real comfortable doing that. I did it once 11 or 12 years ago with Uncle Paul off a cliff out in the woods somewhere and I fell right away and uh, I ended up, uh, just as I was leaning back, my feet slipped, I was so terrified, I fell and I was ground level, cliff down here, my eyes right the ground and the counselor, I, I don't remember who it was, he was on belay there uh, or whatever it was, I don't know. And he looked at me and he says, I got you, Pastor David. And I took a deep breath Okay. We are comfortable doing some things, but sometimes even the smallest thing will make us uncomfortable. Change is hard. His fear, though, seems to be that he just doesn't want to do it by himself. Deborah, if you'll go with me, I'll take these army uh, men up to my table and, and we'll whip this guy. But if you don't go with me, 
I don't think I want to go either. I think I'll stay home unless you go with me. Uh, so we can sympathize with him sometime. I brought something I wanted to show you. Let me see where I put my oak branch. This is a mighty oak branch. Can you see it? The strongest wood there is, right? Oak. One of the strongest ones. This is a finger chopper. Alright? What I'd like to do is to demonstrate how the finger chopper works on a piece of oak. What's your name again? RJ. That's really your initials, right? You don't want them to know your name? Okay. Stand up here. All I want you to do is put the oak, and that is solid oak, isn't it? And don't break it, it's oak. Put it through into the finger chopper, all right? And I'm just going to... Oh, all right. It broke it, though, right? Yeah. It's kind of dull. I haven't used it for a while. But, okay, that's good, RJ. Thank you. Now, I need two more volunteers. Okay, what's your name? That is amazing. You're kidding. I wish I'd have known that earlier. I just called everybody Megan. Let's go with Kendall because uh, if you hadn't heard me say, Kendall reminds me of a girl in my church who's now uh, teaching school, but uh, she is her twin when she was younger. So Kendall and this Megan, come on up here. This is a finger chopper. You want to put your finger in there? We'll just give it a test run here. Go ahead. <laughs> well, just, just a test. We're not, I'm, no, come on. Don't be a chicken head. Put it in. I just want you to feel the. I just want you to feel that the blade does come down on it. Oh, put it your finger in. I'm going to do it real light. Can you feel it? Yeah. Okay. Is it very sharp? No, that's why it's such a messy thing. Okay. So you come over here. Right? I want you to cup your hands like this. You come over here. <laughs> what? She's going to catch her blood. No, she's not going to catch her blood. She's going to catch her finger. Oh, Kendall. Do you trust me? Not with my fingers. <laughs> you trust me with your soul? Well, with, my with soul's not going in there. <laughs> <laughs> which one do you, which one, you want to use your left hand? Are you right handed? Yeah. Well, let's use your left hand. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, <laughs> who? Are you afraid? <laughs> yeah. All right, then sit. You're still okay with this part, right? Okay. I forget your name, even though I played basketball with you. Christy? All right, come back so everybody can watch the blood. All right, you come right up underneath of it there. All right. Sometimes it gets jammed. One, two, three weeks ago I did this. And it really... All right, ready? One, two, three. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
nothing to be afraid of, Kendall. Nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, truly amazing. What I want you to notice here is that Barak was afraid when he shouldn't have been afraid. Why shouldn't he have been afraid? Because God said, I will be with you. No reason to be afraid, no matter what lies ahead, when God is the one that says, I will be with you. And I want you to notice here, this is one of the most gruesome stories in all the Bible. And I don't know how familiar you, you are with it, but this is the race that God had called Barak to do. He's going to lead an army, 10,000 strong, against the 900 chariots of King Jabin. He is going to annihilate them. This is what God has called him to do. And Barak is there saying, I don't think so. Not unless Deborah goes with me. Deborah goes with me, I could be brave. And Deborah must have been some amazing woman, don't you think? If, if Deborah goes, then we're okay. But what I want you to notice, look at verse 15 in chapter 4. Uh, finally, Deborah says, well, that's what we'll do. I'll go with you, but you're not going to get much credit for it. Because everyone will say a woman's the one that did it. And we all know that's the way life is anyway. <laughs> right? <laughs> Ask my wife. She'll tell you. Uh, at Barak's advance, the chariots and army... Uh, oh, my goodness. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera. That's the general of Jabin, the bad guy. Abandoned his chariots on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as uh, that place. And all the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. So uh, Barak has his 10,000 soldiers. Deborah uh, has a, sounds like another group that kind of uh, leads Sisera, the bad general, to chase Deborah, or, or at least this other army. And as they're chasing them, Barak brings 10,000 soldiers down off of this mountain into the valley and starts chasing this guy down. The chariots here again get bogged down too, so they leave the chariots behind and they start running on foot. And it says they chase them all down, hunt them all down, kill them all, except one guy gets away. You know what guy that is? Sisera, the bad guy to begin with, the main general of all these bad armies. So what happens next? The enemy flees. Sisera ends up going to uh, a house of some friends of his. And the woman, whose name is Jael, J-A-E-L, J-L, however uh, you want to say it, it's fine. But it wasn't Kendall. Nor was it Megan. It was J-L. And he goes there, he says, you got to hide me. They're coming to get me. I'm the only one that's still alive. They're going to kill me. She says, well, come on in here. And she gets him a drink, and she says, you hide here. And, and Sisera says, now listen, if anybody comes looking for me, you tell them you haven't seen me, all right? Now, if you look on a map from Mount Tabor, where they started down from, to where this woman lived, it's like 15 to 20 miles. So this guy has literally been running from these armies for 15 miles. He's exhausted. And so he goes into this room and uh, there's a mat laying on the floor and he falls asleep. And the Bible says he was just so tired. Jael, once she realizes he's asleep, sneaks into the room, gets a tent spike. A spike you pound into the ground to tie the ropes to the tent. Gets a big old sledgehammer. 
puts the spike to his temple and pounds through, nails him to the ground right through his brain. I'm telling you, it's gruesome. She didn't even use the finger chopper. Now, this was his friend. Imagine, you know, what his enemies would like to do to him, the poor guy. But listen here. I, what I want you to notice from this, J.L. was an unexpected ally for Barak, an unexpected friend. As he moved forward, doing what God wanted him to do, and even though it looked like he wasn't going to be completely successful, God brings someone else into the picture, even another enemy, and he's able to do the thing that God wanted him to do completely. God provided this unexpected friend. Now, same thing is true in your life. If God calls you, and we talk about what race you want to run, as we get later in the week, We'll try to identify that more. What does God want out of you? How does he want you to live your life? What does he want you to do with your life? How does he want you to make a living? And, and more importantly than how you make a living, it's how can you still serve Jesus Christ in whatever it is that he leads you to do with your life. God's grace was all Barak needed uh, to succeed. I don't know if you have the little booklets with you or not, but... Uh, there's a verse uh, in there on this page, 2 Corinthians 12:9. It says, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. When you consider Barak, in verse 14, it says, Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. This is the, the day... God is going to show favor to you, Barak. This is the day God is going to do something good. Even though you don't deserve it because you're a chicken head, God still says, I'm going to do something amazing. And he gets, still gets listed in Hebrews 11. But I want you to see that God's grace, that's all Barak needed. He didn't need Deborah to go with him. He thought he did, but he didn't. All he needed was God. And God says, my grace is sufficient. For whatever I ask you to do with your life, whatever challenge is there, God's grace is all you need. Now, I want to tell you a little story and we'll wrap things up here. I don't know uh, if any of you play piano or have studied it, but there was a great Polish composer uh, a number of decades back, and his name was Paderewski. Uh, well known in Europe, and one night he was giving this big concert in a, in a big forum and this woman had brought her little five or six year old boy with her and they were seated down maybe in the fifth row and uh, people were just you know talk talk talking buzz buzz buzzing waiting for the concert to start and the woman didn't notice that her little boy had wandered off and so she was talking to some friends behind her and then the, the lights come down they go back on and lets everybody know it's time to get quiet and uh, then the house lights go down and the lights come up on the stage. And when they did, the house com lights come up on the stage, somebody was at the piano playing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Guess who it was? Her little boy. Yeah. He had snuck away. And, of course, she is just horrified. Oh, my gosh. Get off of there. And, and she's getting up out of her seat to come out. 
when out comes the great pianist Paderewski. And he, he motions for the woman, stay where you are. And he just simply comes up behind the little boy and he whispers to the little boy, just keep playing. So the little boy, he's pecking out, twinkle, twinkle, little star. And then Paderewski reaches around and starts playing some bass notes. And then he starts doing what they call a running obligato, just up and down the keys here. And with just in moments, this little boy, along with the master pianist of his day, are mesmerizing the crowd. Isn't that cool? The two together, able to do what the little boy certainly couldn't have done by himself. I want you to know that this is what God does for us. We are like the little kid sitting at the piano, pecking out our lives. Twinkle, twinkle, little life. When God comes along and he says, just keep playing, just keep going, and he starts adding all this other stuff, and he makes our life into a symphony. I want you guys to understand that God will do this for you. He will call you into some special place of service. And it may not be a pastor, it may not be a camp director or a missionary, but he will call you someplace. He will want you to live your life. He has a plan for you. And he will give you everything you need. His grace is sufficient. Barak had to start somewhere. We have to start somewhere. And this morning, to wrap things up, I want you to understand here that I know not everyone here may be a Christian. You know, maybe your parents said, you know, you're going to camp. You know, we're going to Paris, you're going to camp. Uh, I don't know. But you may not be a Christian. This morning, I want to give you that chance to accept Christ as your Savior, to understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, and he did it all to pay the penalty for your sins. Someday Jesus Christ is coming back, and when he does, you say, I want to go with him. I'm going to give you a chance to pray that simple prayer. If you're here and you are a Christian, I want you to be thinking about the course of this week. What do you think God wants you to do with your life? You're not too young to start figuring that out. And even if you don't know that, to be willing to say, Lord, I give it to you. Do with it what you want. I'll play Twinkle Twinkle Little Life as best I can, and I will trust that you will help me live the life that you are calling me to live. All right, let's bow our heads in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here and you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, I'm going to say a little prayer, and just pray it in your heart. If you've never done it, and you say, Pastor, I want to do that today, pray something along this line. Dear Lord, I know that I've done things wrong, and that makes me a sinner. And I know that God is a holy God. I believe that Jesus Christ died on Calvary. That he was the penalty for my sin. I believe that he rose again from the dead the third day. Today, I invite Jesus to come into my life. I ask him to forgive my sins. Make me a new person. Make me a believer in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, say, Pastor, David, I, I prayed that prayer. I've never done it before, but I prayed it and I meant it. I just want you to slip up your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come up or anything, but just say uh, with your raised hand, I prayed that prayer. Can you slip up your hand if that was the case for you? Anyone here? I see one. Very good. Father, I thank you for this time we've had to spend uh, in your word. Father, we thank you for the example of Barak.
who was so scared to begin with uh, that he couldn't even do it unless his friend Deborah went with him. Help us, Father, to be brave, to overcome our fears, especially when it comes to how you lead us in life. Father, I pray you would bless us this day. Keep us safe. Help us to enjoy the activities of the day that Uncle Paul has planned. It might be a good time, but we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.